Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends. You can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's how healthier happens together. Services vary by location. Prescriptions can be obtained at pharmacy of choice. Visit MinuteClinic.com for details. One, two, ready for the interview. And if you get a cue, live on a laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real. That's the motto. Real talk, pronto. Dr. D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait. Gotta be social, network, global, home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, home for the locals. All right, David. Hey, thanks for being here on the social network. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm excited to be here on a beautiful morning. I mean, Saturday. I don't always do Saturday podcasts, but I'm really happy about this one. (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. I want to hear about your life. I mean, it sounds like an amazing life and a lot of good things being done. Oh, boy. Wow. Where do you start? Um, yeah, I'm doing a lot of fun stuff right now. You know, my, my, I think a lot of people sometimes early in life figure out what their purpose is and then they, they start going down that path. And I kind of didn't really figure that out until like my forties or something. Wow. And, um, and, and my purpose is, has helped me kind of define who I am now and, um, connect to the world in a way that I hope to connect to the world. And that's by uh, storytelling. I love telling stories. And um, I mean, you do that kind of as a podcaster, right? You, you expose yep. stories, you, you help tell stories. And I feel like uh, uh, humans were only connected by two things. We're connected by story and we're also connected by the same range of emotions. Now mm. we might show those emotions or we might process the emotions. We might um, share the emotions differently but we all have the same basic emotions and we all love a good story who doesn't lean in when somebody says hey let me tell you a story and so <laughs> yeah right so yeah, um so that's what i do I, I i write i write books i tell stories and sometimes uh evocative ones uh, i think the reason that you and i are here talking is my last book cycle of lives Correct. which i i talk about 15 people's emotional journeys with cancer so tell me, take me through a little bit of, you said you didn't find your purpose until your forties. Yeah. Was there, was this like a, a leading, like many moments leading up to this? Or were you like, boom, I figured it out. Yeah. I kind of had one of those um, kind of watershed moments um, where, I, I don't know, I was very observant, but maybe not self-observant and okay. it just hit me one day I was I was at a pretty low point um, in my life 
I had escaped a, a pretty bad uh, marriage. I had four-year-old twins uh, that I had to get them to safety. And so we were, we were out and we were good. I was a smoker. I was overweight. Um, I just, I was just in a little point in my life, uh, stressed out, not, you know, just, just going through all this turmoil. And I just, um, I don't know. I just said, man, who do you want to be? Like, what, like, who are you? I had no idea. I just had no idea. And it just hit me that I had pretty much lived my whole life kind of trying to make other people happy or doing things because it's what I thought I should do for other people. Um, rather than consciously making the decision to be who I wanted to be. And kind of at that same time, my sister was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And the, that dichotomy kind of hit me where now she hit, was hit with a new reality where the end of her life was going to be upon her very quickly. Right. And I just woke up to a reality where I'm finally on my path to figure out what my life is going to be all about. And so that that was kind of like that watershed moment that, that said, okay, man, you got to take control of, of who you are and who you want to be because now is your opportunity. And, and I just became aware of it um, in, in that way, stopped smoking, started eating better, uh, started uh, becoming active uh, within the first several months of quitting smoking. I did my first triathlon. By the end of the year, I did an Ironman and, and wow. in the last uh, number of years, I've done almost 20 Ironmans and 100 mile runs and 5,000 mile bike rides and all That's kinds awesome. of crazy stuff. Wow. So it's, it, it feels very immediate, like this change, like it was like, hey, time to turn the page. Let's move forward. You know, sometimes people do that and it's kind of like a, a relapse sometimes with things, you know, for you, was it just like a point forward primarily? Yeah, it, it was. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times when you're going through a massive transformation, um, then you, you can't go from like A to Z, you know, if, if who you want to be is Z and you're at point A, you yeah. can't go from A to Z in one move, right? Yeah. And so it, I think that awareness for me to try to help me along that path came a million different ways and a million different steps. But one analogy I, I, I can give you is I was doing a, a, a my first endurance athletic event <clears throat> and it was going to be about a nine hour event and I was completely unprepared for it and mm. I had no business doing it, but that's what I, I wanted to do. The life I wanted to live was, hey, I want to start seeing how far I can push myself. And I'd always done that at work. I had done that trying to fix all the bad relationships I had started, right? I, 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 put, I set myself up a lot of brick walls to knock, knock down. And, you know, some of that was self-sabotaging. Right. I mean, you understand all this, right? right? You, <laughs> you know, you create a problem so that you can solve it. That way you don't have to deal with the real problem, you know? So I, I'm about three hours into this thing. And I'm completely done and wiped out. Like, like it's horrible. I got six hours to go and, and I cannot move another step. And I'm leaning over. I'm in, it, it, this is in between Athens and Atlanta, Georgia, summertime. And I'm leaned over and I'm sweating crazy onto the pavement. And I just looked at myself and I go, dude, like if you look backwards, every, everything you know about yourself exists right there. And I said, if you go just one step past that line, just get one, one step more, one step further, you're going to learn something new. 
And then if you take a step beyond that, you're going to learn something new. And if you already know everything, just go home. Like, if you don't want to be anything more than this. Just <laughs> right. go, just just go, go home, home, pack it up. Yeah. You already, you already lived your life. Just, just, you know, everything about yourself, but I didn't want to have that attitude because even though many times in my life, I hadn't been hopeful about the outcome of things, I was optimistic. And I just said, if I can make it one step past that line, I'm going to learn something new and another step and another step and another step. And every time I do an event or every time I take on a new project or whatever, I go to it with a fresh eye. Like, I don't know anything. Like I never been there before. And so I think that's the mindset that helped me kind of transition Not again, fed by a hundred different points, you know? Right. Right. Now, when you were coming up with cycle of lives, but I love the name of that, by the way, it's great. Right. Cause it means a couple of things, you know, in a, in a way, you know, it does very, it's, I was it's, like, Oh, okay. Cycle. Yeah. What, yeah. It's a play on words. Right. Right. I was like, this is a great name for a book, but how did take me through how this started to come about this book? So, um, I was pretty fortunate when uh, my sister was going through what she was going through that she felt comfortable to talk to me and allowed me to feel comfortable talking to her because I'm sure your listeners know I mean you 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 talk about this right we, we avoid people that are going through difficulty because we don't want to embarrass ourselves or say the wrong thing or invade their space or right. whatever and but we had an opportunity to talk like really talk which was nice um near the end of her life um i went to an event it was called a relay for life it's one of the things where you yeah, walk around a track for 24 yeah. hours you know yeah. well so we had made a pact she wanted to be out there and watch everybody for the whole 24 hours and i said i'll run the whole 24 hours Whoa. and then she died like two days before so it was it was pretty raw it was pretty it was pretty rough i was kind of in my own head a lot but i was watching everybody and i noticed that they were able to deal with the tasks, like talk about how do you get care, talk about um, uh, what do you do with your kids while you're in chemo, uh, talk about uh, how you take care of your patients, right? Um, uh, but they weren't, uh, people were not able to deal with the emotional side of it. Mm. They just, the most, we just didn't have the language, we don't have the language. Like, right, right just in the last how many years have we developed some bit of language to deal with PTSD? So true. Right. Yeah. And so it's just the tools that people didn't have. And I had some of them, but I didn't have some of them also. And I, and I just said, Oh, I scratched my head. I said, I wonder if that's an issue. So I started talking to people and they're very animated, ready to talk about everything related to cancer. But when it came to like, how does that make you feel? I was like, mm, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Uh. And that was a common theme with every single person that I talked to. Yeah. And so that was the start of the book. I said, let, let me put together a book that examines people at a super, super deep, deep, deep level and examines how they were able to or unable to navigate the emotions of cancer, which allowed them to or prevented them from connecting with their, their circle of friends, their loved ones, their yeah people that matter to them and there's some keys there's there's some keys and what we can learn from what people have gone through um and take that to our own lives so that when we're going through something we can less self-isolate and when we see other people going through things we can less abandon them yeah. so that we can form these deeper connections 
Well, speaking of emotion, like what was the most emotional aspect of creating this book? <laughs> like what was the, what was your emotions for it? Well, well for me and anybody out there that's written anything about anybody else will, will understand this for, for me, the most emotional thing was I, I spent a couple of years interviewing people. Yeah. I, I, dozens and dozens and dozens of hours each. And I got super, super deep into their lives. I mean, I found, I uncovered things they never talked to anybody about wow. and very traumatic stuff. It was, it was really uh, sweet, the kind of safety net we had for each other to be able to explore these issues, but I, I had to get that deep. So the most emotional thing for me was when I spent a couple of years interviewing them and then I spent a year writing the stories and then I went back and forth with my editor about what worked and what didn't work and whatever. And I got these stories as tight as possible. The most emotional thing was sending the stories to people. Mm. Like I was like, a because it's about their lives. Imagine I, I wrote a story about your life and the biggest traumas in the world. So I was like a, I was like a little teenager who had a crush on somebody. I sent them a text and I'm like, one second later, I'm like, oh my God, they hate me. They didn't respond, right? <laughs> I, would, I would wrap up their story in an in a email and I would send it off. And, and then I, I look over at my wife and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to hate the story. And then five minutes later, I'm like, how come they haven't responded to my email? Yeah. And then the next day I was like, oh my God, they hate it. You know, <laughs> but, um, um, but then eventually everybody got back to me and, and, and the stories were okay with a couple of tweaks here and there, but that was the emotional side is that, is that I didn't anonymize the stories. So they are the people, real names, real times, real everything. Um, a little bit of creative license on on com compressing some of the traumas sure. and the stories that they had gone through, but um, very real and 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 not um, anonymous. So um, I wanted the reader to not be preached to or be prescribed to, but I wanted them to be moved by the real, raw, deep, yeah, inspiring stories of real people. Oh man, that's so awesome! Like. What did you learn about yourself in this book? Like, what was like some of the things that you took away from creating this book? Oh boy, that's a good question. I mean, I learned a lot. I, I really did. Cause I, what I did was when I like to play on the title, right? Cycle yeah. of Lives, I, I kind of as a gimmick, I said, well, geez, David, if you're uh, this guy who wants to connect people and connect stories, we're connected by emotions and you're talking about lives and the cycle of lives and all of this stuff. I go, oh, why don't you get on your bike and and cycle, right, five thousand miles to to visit all the people, well, many of the people that I had spoke yeah. to um, for the first time because I I will only talk to them on the phone. Yeah. So if you can imagine, these stories are spread out over the all over the country, and I'm kind of the the line, the thread that binds these <laughs> stories together was me biking to all yeah. the people. So I did this solo. 45 day, nearly 5,000 mile bike ride. And I met along the way, almost every day, people who reinforced that same, um, you know, theory, this, the same belief and the same purpose for my book, which was they didn't feel well equipped. They didn't know what to say to people. Hmm. So long answer, but I just wanted to set that up as um, what I learned was so much from talking to people. I also learned a lot about writing the stories I also learned a lot about running into people along the spike ride. Yeah. Um, and oh my God, I bore you and your listeners with a million things that I learned, you know, but, <laughs> but I feel like that's a joy, you know, that's, yeah. that's, 
that that's the joy. You know, I, I definitely learned about myself that I was, I'm not going to say guilty because you're not doing it on purpose and it's nothing wrong, but I certainly mirrored that idea of being nervous or afraid to talk to people who are going through difficult things. Yeah. I think that's a, a theme for so many people is I really identify when you, I've talked to a lot of cancer uh, survivors and people going through it. And, you know, a lot of kind of like very, oh my, yeah, let's talk about cancer and all this stuff. But then like, when you get to that emotion of theirs, there's a weird switch that flips. And it's like, well, we could talk about other stuff and the whole, the process, but I don't want to get too close to my emotional feelings about it. I think you could take that to a lot of things in life. People are so great about talking about topics and issues, but when it gets personal, it's like, I don't know if I want to go there, you know? You know what? That's so funny because you, you just kind of reminded me, and it's an obvious story, so I don't know why I had to be reminded by you of it, but I'm <laughs> glad you reminded me of it. So I originally wrote the 15 stories, okay? And inside of each story, I kind of talk about um, my interaction with the, with the person. Mm -hmm. So I write the 15 stories and I, and I, and, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm interacting stuff like, um, you know, about my sister and the fact that she died and what she left behind and, you know, my regrets and family problems and this and that, blah, 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 right. So I'm writing about a lot of emotional stuff, but I'm yeah. kind of burying it in each one of these stories. And I send the book to my editor and she comes back and she goes, yeah, there's one major problem with the book. And I go, what's that? And she goes, these are stories about them. And you inserted yourself into the stories. You need to extricate yourself from their story because their story is not about you. Their story is about them. You need to write the stories about them. She goes, and then I need you to write a narrative in between each one of these stories about you and your emotional journeys. Mm. And I go, ah, nobody's going to want to read that, <laughs> right? Because that's what we think, like, right? I, just exactly yeah. what you said. When it comes to your own self, you're like, uh, no, like, no. So I did. It is so funny because everybody I spoke to um, they had these amazing, traumatizing, inspiring stories. And they all said, like, no, nah, I'm not that interesting. And no, yeah. nobody would want to hear this. But this is where we learn it all, right? Yeah. And then getting close to your own story. And I had somebody on, and it was all about like, personal myth making and how the myths we tell about ourselves or the denial of our own story what's the truth of our own story and it feels like that's kind of what you're doing is like hey it's okay to get close to your story and the emotion it's okay to feel this way you know yeah I, you know that's really insightful um a couple of the people in the book i, I feel like came to that point where they, mm. they faced the reality of their own story and made a really big change in who they became after that. And mm. um, I could think of, that's almost a factor. In fact, I don't, I don't know anybody's ever put it the way that you have to me. That's almost a factor in each one of these stories mm. now that I think about it, is that kind of thought that that if they were accepting of that reality, if they, if they, if they became aware of it, it really had a profound effect on transforming yeah. them into a different person. Like, for example, one of the guys in the, in the book, young guy, uh, uh, thought he just pulled a muscle surfing 
a long story short, he ends up uh, having to have a grapefruit sized sarcoma removed from his, right. his belly. I uh, almost dies. He's go through, you know, tons and tons of, of, uh, uh, different therapies, you know, radiation, chemotherapy, you, a ton of surgeries, you name it. And um, uh, he is like this macho dude, right? He's like this, I don't need help. He tells his yeah. his family, don't bother taking me to the, to the chemo chair. I got a friend doing it, but he would drive himself. And then when he was done, he would say to the nurses, no, nah, I don't need you to arrange for me to get home. My, my family's waiting outside. And he would stumble to the car and and drive home and not tell anybody super macho guy yeah right even uh like i mean to the point where he would sometimes pass out on the lawn walking back to his house he Uh, just didn't want to accept any help yeah and but he came to the reality of the reason that he wouldn't accept help was not because he was macho he had to admit and, and it's a hard thing to admit but the reason that he was so macho and so self sufficient as it were was because as he's being wheeled in to his first surgery, his girlfriend looks down at him and says, dude, this is not my life. I can't handle this. This You're on your own. Oh, He, he gets totally abandoned. Yeah. A- and yeah. I go a little bit further with him and you find out that his abandonment happened his whole life. In fact, when he was a little boy, and this was something he shared with me, he hadn't shared with anybody. Yeah. When he was a little boy, he walked in on his mom killing herself the ultimate abandonment ultimate and so so here's this kid who who i mean kid he's in his 20s who get uh is 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 so macho i'm i'm me i'm not letting anybody in and then he comes to realization that that it's only a safety mechanism for all the abandonment that he had endured so when he learned how to allow people in and learn how to uh, let people love him and care about him uh, and he uh, dropped this false bravado, this this false yeah, sense of, yeah. of machismo. Um, he, he totally transformed his life, how he interacts with people, how he thinks about himself. I mean, in a million ways, he transforms his life. And I tell this story um, uh, only because it 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 really plays on what you what you said prior. And um, you know, that's an amazing, tough circumstances, yeah. really tough things to deal with but very inspirational because sometimes I, I think like if somebody tells me they're fine, maybe there's more behind it. <laughs> maybe they're so fine. not fine. Yeah. Right. Most and definitely. So- I always say like with people, I'm like, for most humans, you've met a lot of people except yourself. <laughs> you have, you've met That's a brilliant. lot of people, but you really haven't met yourself. You got to meet yourself. And with, like, when somebody says, Oh, I'm fine. Well, I'm good. I always ask, oh, really? Like, like, tell me more. Because most of us often never dig deeper. We never do the kind of that dig beyond what you tell somebody else. They're like, fine, I'm good. Uh, I'm okay. I have clients say, I'm just, I'm okay today. I'm like, well, we should probably talk about this. (laughs) Like, because something's going on and you're just giving me the curtains. I need to know what's happening behind it, you know? You're absolutely right, but you're skilled uh, to ask those questions, and right. you know, even if you ask the wrong question, it still is the right thing to do. Is yeah. to try to try to push people further because you you want to be there for them, you want to try to help them, or just wh- whatever your goal is, like you're trying to connect with them or whatever. Exactly. And that's that's the hardest thing is that 
who doesn't have, and you might not, but I bet you all your listeners do. I do. I, I, maybe you do if you think about it, but who doesn't have a friend, a coworker, a family member that is going through a tough time? And I mean like a tough time, like some a, serious yes. trauma. Yes. And it's been way too long since you reached out to them. And part of the limiting uh, a factor for that is you don't want to be a jerk. You don't want to say the wrong thing. It's already been six weeks since you talked to him. Mm. Uh, how are you going to explain that away in your own head? You feel too guilty. You don't want to step on their toes. You don't want whatever. And so you just, you just um, stay away. You don't make the phone yeah. call. You don't reach out. Right. Cause it's right. hard. It's hard. It's hard to say, tell me more. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say it that. It is. Because what if they don't want to tell you more and you just ask them the hor most horrible question ever? Right. Yeah, I, it makes it making me think a lot. <laughs> My boss was like, yeah, this, everybody knows somebody that's struggling pretty mightily on something. I always feel like somebody said to me one time that I always tend to run towards those people. Like I run into the fire. And I'm just curious about what's happening in their lives, because I know that a lot of people don't talk to other people about that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. They won't let you in, but they'll talk to you about other people a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Or other things. Other like, things. Yeah. Yeah. You ever have like sometimes, sometimes it's a good thing to have a conversation where uh, you're like, oh man, I was talking to that person for 45 minutes. And then you, you tell your significant other, hey, uh, I spoke to so-and-so and they go, oh, what'd you talk about? You're like, uh, yeah. nothing. Like, <laughs> I don't remember talking about anything. So we all, ha all have those. Yeah. I'll tell you a great story. I was being interviewed by somebody. And after the interview, uh, he goes, oh man, can I tell you a story? I go, yeah. He goes, man, I have such guilt right now. It's just unbelievable. I go, what? He goes, I have a friend who was, um, um, going through terminal cancer. He recently died. He goes, and I saw him maybe like four or five times in, in, in the latter part of his life. It was really tough. And, and you know, I, I went over to his house or when he was able, he came over to my house and man, I wanted to talk to him, but I never felt it was right. Like he just kind of seemed to avoid talking to me. Uh -huh. and we would watch a football game and, and eat some snacks or, you know, do whatever. We really didn't talk about anything. And, and we, uh, you know, he goes, oh, man, I just wish I would have gone a lot deeper with him. Yeah. And I thought about it for a minute and I went, hmm. I said, the only way you could have gone deeper, maybe and not feel guilty, is just to have asked a question. Because what if, I go, what if everybody in his life was pounding him about all these super emotional things? That's true. And what if everybody was putting him in a place where he just wanted to self-isolate and you were the one person? The one person who didn't put pressure on him, that let him be him, that just asked him what he wanted on his hot dog as he watched the yeah. football game, right? Yeah. If you, so want, I want you to think like maybe you were that one person able to do that. And sometimes it's, it's hard to say to somebody, are we not talking because <laughs> that's what you want to do? Right. Or are we not talking because you don't want to talk about something because there's other things going on. Like what you said, tell me more. Yeah. Sometimes it's so hard to take that step, but other times may, maybe you don't always have to, but just know you're being there in a way that that yeah. person needs, right? Just, just yeah. find that out. And, and there's a lot of peace in that. Man, I, I didn't think about that point. Honestly, I mean, you're telling me this and I'm like, 
oh, that just went right over my head many times. <laughs> like, because I'm always so into like, I want to get to the root of this, but I didn't think like maybe a lot of people, especially if somebody's going through something terminal and maybe there's a lot of emotion, uh, this storm of emotion all the time. And you're just there watching TV with them, like just being there. Sometimes that's the best move, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes it is. And I love the idea that you say, tell me more, because that's such a great, it's such a great way, right? Like, like I always try to ask an open ended question now, mm -hmm. rather than, um, rather than offering sympathy mm. or telling people, I'm sorry. Like it was my fault. Like, uh, Oh man, I just heard my gra grandma. Oh man, my grandma just died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, really, you're sorry? Like you didn't have anything yeah. to do with grandma it's dying. True. Like, why don't you instead, why don't you ask, oh my God, what was she like? Good or, question. oh my God, were you close to her? Right? Like, oh, oh my God, how hard is that for you? Yeah. Or whatever. It opened. You didn't know the answer to the question was how hard was that for me? I hated that woman. I'm yeah. glad she's gone. Right? How do you know until you ask that one more question? That's true. Yeah, you never know. That person maybe have a terminal illness and they had a bad relationship. They have a bad relationship with that person, you know, and maybe that's they need to get that point out, you know, maybe. Right. But I, I'm just my 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 point in telling you that story is I, I think that we want to assume what people are feeling. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes um if somebody's not wanting to talk to you about something that they want to go through, that they're going through, maybe it's they don't want to bring you down. Maybe it's they feel guilty that they're going to leave you behind with all their problems. I mean, there's a million reasons. Yeah. Going on. But what I wanted to do was not tell people how to, um, you know, I didn't want to prescribe, oh, uh, here's the 10 things you need to do when somebody's going through trauma or when somebody's dealing with a lifetime of trauma. You know, I have one a book participant who's had five different cancers over 35 years. Oh my gosh. Right? So imagine the trauma, but her trauma is not about that. Her, even though that's very traumatic and her trauma isn't even about taking care of her dad while he was dying of cancer while she was in the chemo chair. Right. Yeah. So, but her, her, her life's not about that. Her life's about this brutally physically and mentally abusive relationship that she was subjected to for four years and how to get out of that relationship and find love and allow herself to be loved, which is what she needed to get through all those cancers that the yeah. cancers came on after, right? Is that you never, never, never know what people are going through or what they have gone through. And it's hard, it's hard sometimes that, that to, to get what people are, are dealing with because again, like I said, it could be, they don't want to make you feel bad. And, yeah. and so they, there could be a hundred different emotions going on. What I wanted to do with the book was not to say, do this, 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 and this, but just say, take a deep look at this person's life and take from their story what you can so that you can apply it to your own life. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I, uh, I made a note in my mind. I wanted to come back to this 5,000 mile bike ride. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> And I, I'm much like, I'm a type of person who like, if somebody makes a song, I want to know how they made the song. I just don't want to just listen to it. I want to know like, like how did the session start? What was the creation? How did you approach doing this? 
5,000 mile ride. And like, what, what are the logistics of this? I, I'd like to know the deeper-ish things about it. I, I'll tell you those things, but it's so funny because, man, if you sat me down to try to write a, a piece of me, I can't even wrap my brain around how people are that creative, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's totally amazing. But um, it, it was strange. Um, uh, I'm, this is a, a charitable endeavor for me. So 100% of the proceeds go to the charities that were chosen yeah. by the book participants different hospitals, cancer centers, that type of stuff. So um, I, I tried to get like hotels. I got all the hotels donated to me. I got the bike donated to me. Yeah, It was really like a touring bike, kind of bike I'd need to be, because I was going to be on the bike for like 12, 14 hours a day. Ooh. So I had a limited amount of time to get from point A to Z, which was tw- you know 20 stops along the way. Nice. But for, uh, my my route was basically Southern California, across the desert, up and down Texas a little bit, then through the Panhandle of Florida. I, I turned right down Florida and went to Tampa, and then went across to Orlando, and then zigzagged up to New York City. <laughs> okay, that's a lot of miles. That's right? A lot. <laughs> yeah. So that's nearly five thousand miles, and I had to plan it ahead of time. Because each one of the hotels was a separate hotel. It wasn't like a chain of hotels. Because yeah. when you're going 100 to 130, 40 miles a day, you're not always going to run into one brand of hotel at every place. So I would just hit up a local hotel ahead of time. Hey, I'm going to be here on this day. Can I have a hotel room? So, so logistically, it took me a year to put this thing together. Mm. And I had to get from where I was going to be the first night to the second night to the third night because everything was coordinated around visits with hospitals hotel stays you know all of this stuff and so i had to get from where i was going each day uh from where i started to where i needed to finish because if i didn't all the dominoes behind it would fall down so uh, i had to figure out each day and a lot of times it was it was not fun and it never was easy Um, i had to figure out how to how to get to my finish line each day, which is really, really difficult to do. And it's a very uh, a great analogy for life in that oh, some days I had to rely on a ton of people to get there each day. And other days I had to only rely on myself because there's nobody there to give me help. And I had to figure out how to get to where I needed to get to. And it's kind of like this thing, like what you just said about leaning in, right? Um, I learned one of the things I learned about myself is that when I needed to rely on myself, I I could. And when I should lean on other people, I did. And it was always the right thing to do. I mean, that what a great lesson for life. I mean, that's you're telling me that I'm like, that's like living. I mean, that's just like living every day. Like, how did you I imagine you ride into the desert? I mean, I've I've traveled through the majority of the country. And there's some really desolate areas of the country. Oh yeah. And how did you pass those miles? Like how, like was your mindset, you know? Uh, it depends on where I was. Cause, cause you can imagine if, if, if you're meandering across the desert or through mountains, if you're meandering, oh, you take your time and you look at the sites and you yeah. say, oh, this beautiful country road or whatever. But I was going from here to there to here to there on the straightest line possible. And where are the straightest lines possible on the highway? So I was on the highway most of the time, man. Yeah. Maybe about like 75% of the time I was on, I was on the highway. 
which meant that uh, I was on the shoulder as 75 mile an hour trucks were passing by me nonstop for 12, 14 hours a day. It was unbelievably harrowing. Mm. Now, granted, there were some days where there wasn't an interstate highway there. And, and you know, I, I was on country roads, and I, especially through Texas, a lot of, a lot of country roads in Texas. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and man, your mind can, can really wander. I mean, you can get into some really deep stuff. Yeah. Like, when do you ever just check out, like mentally shed away everything for hours and hours and hours and hours at a time, right? It, it's, a, it's amazing, like how free and how open you can be to the world around you and to thoughts and your emotions and whatever when when you're you know hours and hours and hours into a meditative state yes because that's what cycling that's like totally you, what painted this great picture meandering through the desert right if, if you're going to be meandering for the through the desert for 12 hours day after day after day <laughs> you are in a meditative state oh, and you can solve a lot of problems I love that you could solve a lot of problems. Yeah, well, you're not distracted by all this other stimulation going on. You like can actually meet yourself a lot better that way in many ways. You know, you're having this internal dialogue probably yeah. about oh, things. Absolutely. You know? like, what were you thinking stories. about? I was writing the stories. Okay. You, you know, I was writing the stories in my head, really understanding what people were trying to go through. Um trying to wrap my brain around some of the more difficult things that I didn't understand about people um, that I had spoken to. I mean, some really hard things. Like how, I was thinking it's a big responsibility. Uh, one of my uh, book participants became a good friend. He ended up passing away from uh, mesothelioma during the writing of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, has, he had become a good friend during the process. And uh, twice he had to tell his dad or actually the way he put it was twice he asked his dad for permission to die. Oh, because, uh, he was 19 years old. He, uh, he ended up getting a, a stage four lymphoma. Oh, it showed up overnight and which it can do sometimes. Um, and the symptoms can show up overnight. Right. And he, he was in such a bad state that he just looked up at his dad one day and said, is it okay for if I die? And then 10 years later, the cancer came back and the doctor says it's worse than it was last time. So you, you got to get your things in order. And he had to either decide, do I just go in my room and disappear for a couple of weeks because I'll be dead? Or do I drive over to my dad's house and ask him if it's okay if I die again? Wow. And as I'm riding my bike through the desert, I'm trying to wrap my brain around how difficult it must be to feel so bad about what you're gonna do to your loved ones that you're asking them if it's okay if you die. I mean, that's some heavy, heavy stuff. So heavy. And I didn't wanna write it in a way that's like telling you the reader how to feel. I wanted to write it in a way that was like, how does this dude feel about that? Yeah. And how do I feel about getting a glimpse into his head as he feels those things? And so, I really took it serious that these were real stories about real people. And I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to treat the stories with uh, disrespect. I didn't want to make them trite. I didn't want to um, turn them into martyrs. Do you know, I, I wanted to, so, so a lot of my, a lot of my ride on the bike was contemplating 
those type of things. And then also uh, part of it was coming to terms with my own issues, which which self-meditation, right? Yep. That'll, that'll do that, solving, solving problems. And a lot of it was, I was really uh, being aware of and being open to all the interactions with everybody all day long that I had yeah. who taught me a ton of things. That's amazing. I had a guy on and he does a lot of stuff like you, like Ironmans and 100 mile. And he goes, listen, if you're doing this type of stuff, you're working out some stuff in your mind. Like, <laughs> you're not doing this just because of the running or this way. You're doing this because you're working out a lot of stuff that's going on in your life. And I feel like I hear that from every single person that does these type of endurance based things, or they're really pushing the limits. There's a real meeting yourself of like, Hey, we got to talk you and me together, you know? Yeah. You put that a really great way. It's, it's like that endurance athletics is just a mirror it's and a mirror. you talk, you, you put yourself through tests. Now these are more positive tests. And a lot of times what we put ourselves right. through, but you put yourself a test through a test to see what you're made of. Who, who are you exactly that? And, and uh, that could be a good thing. I remember um, that I had that thought really early on when I maybe did my second or third Ironman. And one of my employees goes, you know, what the hell are you running from? <laughs> and I go, no, 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 no. I'm running towards something. Towards it. Exactly. And she goes, well, what are you running to? And I go, I have no idea, but I'm not running away from anything. I'm just right. trying to figure stuff out. And so you're exactly right. It yeah. is that, that it's very self, uh, um, self-examining process. Yeah. You know, when you, I, oh man, I could tell you a hundred stories that are kind of boring, <laughs> but what you learn about yourself, um, just by pushing yourself in these positive ways. Can I tell you one Please really super quick story? I'd love to hear it. So I'm doing this, my very first half Ironman. Okay. Half Ironman is a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, 13 mile run. I had never done any of those three by themselves and I'm getting ready to do this. And I'm five months after stopping smoking. Okay. And I'm maybe five months into losing about 50 pounds. Okay. And I, and I'm like, I don't know if I belong here or not. And it's one of these uh, uh, starts where it's a, it's a stage start. So it's not a group start. Yep. You know, right. So different age groups go off at different times. And my age group was going off a little bit later. So I went up to go watch the people at the start. And it was like that 30 to 35 or whatever male thing. And I look at the start line and everybody looks like a Greek God. <laughs> right. And I mean, they're cut out of mar marble. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what the hell? Look at these athletes. And they got these expensive bikes in the transition area and they got all their gear yeah. and they're all serious looking. And I'm going, oh my God, you're a total fraud. Like, what the hell are you doing? You don't belong here. You don't belong here. Like, go home, man. You're such an idiot. What makes you think you belong with these people? And then the gun goes off and all these Greek gods jump into the water and start swimming. And like two of them turn on their back and start paddling. <laughs> and one of them is flailing around like a dog, doesn't know how to swim. And I start laughing at myself. And I go, dude, why are you going to compare yourself to everybody else? Just go out there and do the best you can do. You belong wherever you want to be. And I kind of like talked myself into that. And I, and I remember every time I reflect on that, it's like, what if I had listened to myself, mm. which I probably have done many times in my life, saying, you don't belong in this room. You're not good enough right? These people are better than you. How many times have we, did I use that to limit myself? Meanwhile, if I would have just stuck around, I, I could 
I'm going to beat everybody. Yeah. Well, at least I'm going to, I'm going to do better than I thought I could do. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Yeah. And so, so endurance athletics is definitely a parable for uh, what you get to learn about yourself. Yeah. It's this almost weird sense of uh, internal therapy that you, I mean, I've done, I was a collegiate runner and I've run many miles in my life and still love to run. And I always feel like I'm always meeting myself every time I do something of a longer endurance and I really press myself and you get in this kind of steady state meditative wheel. You know, there's no stopping and starting. It's just a wheel and time exists on that wheel and how you spend that time can be very profound during that. That's why I don't like distractions with that stuff. I just like to be with myself mm -hmm. in those moments because man, your mind starts playing things with you. And then you start getting these recordings of the past and these visuals show up and you're like, I got to confront this, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I remember one very early, I, it was the first 50 mile run that I ever did. It was in the desert, oddly enough, as we're talking about running in the desert. Yeah. Cause I, it was outside of Las Vegas and it was uh, in the heat. Uh, uh, it's, it, it was called running with the devil. It's a 50 mile run. Mm -hmm. It was the last weekend in June in Vegas. Very hot. I used to Ooh. live in Vegas for 13 years. So I know exactly okay. what you're saying. So, you know, I mean, it got to uh, 118 that day. So you can imagine if we're running 50 miles, 118. So yeah. I get to the start line, like three minutes late. Okay. It's a 50 mile run. Like three minutes matters. But really I was all freaked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it takes off at 6 a.m. Uh, and it's already like in the 90s at 6 a.m. Yeah. And I, and the first like quarter mile is up a hill. And I'm like, really? Like, so I, I'm, I'm late, I'm frantic, it's hot. I'm running uphill for the first quarter mile of a 50 mile run. I have no business doing 50 mile runs. And I start bitching and moaning. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. It's so freaking hot here. Why do, why do they make it start at 6 a.m.? That's too yeah. early. And yeah. why do we got to run uphill the first time? And I went, dude, like, shut the hell up. First of all, nobody's, nobody's asking you to be here. You paid to be here. Yeah. You paid for the right to do this. Second of all, dude, it's supposed to be hard. You're getting ready to run 50 miles in the <laughs> desert. Like, stop complaining. And I said to myself, I go, man, you got to get a better perspective. And then as I started doing the run, I thought about the word perspective and yeah. like what you just said with the hamster wheel, yeah. I thought about the word perspective. What, what are movies um, shot from the angle of the camera yeah. and how are books written? And then I said, Oh, what about your childhood? What, what about the perspective of seeing it 10 years later versus what you're going through? And I, and I, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I'm not exaggerating. I was pondering the word perspective. And then all of a sudden I got to the turnaround. I was 25 miles That's crazy. <laughs> and I went, Oh my God, like you have less to go than you, than you had, like, like you have, you're on the downhill. Yeah. Part, right. You have less to go than you've already done. I go, Whoa, I never thought I could make it 25. I didn't even, I didn't even, wasn't even aware of it because all I was doing was trying to figure out this contemplative, spin on the word perspective yeah boom so it can be very meditative yeah it actually reminds me of i was watching uh the series explained on netflix and i was watching the segment about time 
And it was very much like what you're talking about, how time elapses when you kind of enter into this meditative state and you lose, you lose every sense of like the minutes, the hours. It's just, you're existing in this weird vacuum. Whereas if you're like in that mindset, you originally had the time can't go quick enough. Like, yeah. it's just like the miles are like eating you alive. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. But when you, when you free yourself from that, that, that prison of thought, all of a sudden it's like, we're at the halfway point. Like, yeah. how did that happen? You know, and how do yeah. we, and I think so your journey is indicative of the power of what we do with our time and how we can contemplate being in our own emotions during that time for that, which is, I just think is just so amazing. I really do. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, I, what I wanted to do, what was to like, you know, I could see when I was walking around that track, that first time I was doing that, that really for life, I could just see the, the turmoil people were going through in their own heads as when it came to the emotional time yeah and you've you've done a relay for life so you know at night you know they light up the candles and it's it's very quiet and it's it's like a remembrance a walk right because you remember people and that's when it's the most quiet and that's when nobody's talking they're just holding hands or they're walking by themselves and man the amount of emotion that's going through them but it's just it's just interesting how when it gets really heavy and it gets really emotional we're just wired to kind of, oh, I'm going to go off and deal with this on my own, even yeah. if it's just a quiet little space. And and sometimes that's the right thing. Sometimes it's the best thing. But other times it's not. And and so I wanted to equip people to be able to do that. And, and again, not for me telling them what to do, but just from showing them stories about people and how they've overcome their traumas and how they've been successful at connecting with their loved ones about really difficult things or how they haven't been. And what can we learn from both sides of that? i tell you what, this has been, uh, has been awesome. Honestly, the stories, just you as a person, all the things you've been through, all the good you're doing um, is certainly needed. David, thank you so much for being on. Oh man, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you, you, you uh, really, you're not asking questions on accident. And I appreciate oh, that, man. It's, it's, yeah. it's really good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I want you to tell everybody about the book where they can get it the whole thing before we leave here. Oh yeah. Thank you. I guess that's, 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 you know, cool. you know, the, 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 the promotion aspect. <laughs> All right, well, just, well, that's what we got to do with books, but we're yeah. promoting this for two reasons, right? The one we've been talking about this, this whole time is to give people a tool belt, right? But more tools for their belt rather. And the other thing is we want to raise a little bit of money. So uh, uh, you, you can buy the book wherever books are sold. So Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, whatever, local bookstore. You can go on my website, buy it. But either way, however you buy it. Uh, and the Audible just came out. It's unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, the Audible is unbelievable because I hired 15 different actors to each read one of the different Whoa, stories. Oh, that's it's awesome. totally powerful. I was bawling my eyes out when I was wow. listening to because they're, they're amazing. Um, but, um, uh, so however you buy the book, audible ebook, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, my website, whatever, um, just know that hundred percent of the net proceeds go to these organizations. So that's a good thing. Um, you can just look up cycle of lives, uh, 
and then that's or david richmond either one of those taking my website or to amazon or wherever you get a book or a, an ebook or an audible and um yeah i think one of the other it's super quick one of the other good things about this 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 book is i, I for, keep forgetting to tell people it will not bring you down it will maybe evoke emotion but yeah. each one of the stories is very inspirational very positive messages shows human resiliency and strength it's it's not you don't you don't pick it up and go oh i don't want to read this thing because it's <laughs> right. just a book about a bunch of people going through cancer right. it's not that, that's secondary to it it's the emotional journeys that people take and um and so uh it, if you're looking to be moved by real people's really you know inspiring evocative stories then this this could do that for you i mean this was inspiring i mean this is uh I was actually thinking at some point when you were talking, I was like, I can't wait to post this to people. Ah. And like, what am I going to write about it? And it started forming in my mind what I wanted to say. And it feels like it's going to be very important. Um, I mean, it's a, this is a true pleasure, seriously, to have this conversation. I always think like for me, like I've done so many of these podcasts, like 400 plus now. And it's just mm -hmm. like person after person, you get on a wheel, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I've done a lot of this. Like, am I going to continue to feel like the same way? Like that I really love it. And you're people like you, I get on, I go, this is why I do it to, to learn, to hear That's these stories and then to expose these stories to other people. So thank you for, keeping me going doing oh you're stuff. welcome and and thank you for sharing that and look i mean that's a serious resume of people that you've talked to it's a lot and you know what though most people don't continue to do what they're doing but you you, you care you ask good questions you're bringing insight to the people that follow you and and to be a part of that i'm very appreciative thank you and thank you so much everyone david richmond cycle of lives thank you man i appreciate it you got it at Kroger, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in-store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Kroger app and save from wherever today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.